good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed just for someone like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand, not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk of the pastor's the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Now, I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. Now, you can send your questions to us by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area. Or toll-free anytime in North America at 1-800-730-2727. And here we go. Welcome to the Front Porch, Pastor O'Donnell. Hi there. How are you? Oh, not too bad on the whole. It's kind of cruddy weather out. But, hey, you know, I, I want to give a special shout-out by the by. Uh, to my beloved wife, whose birthday was yesterday, and we are going to go out celebrating this evening. Happy birthday to her. Absolutely. <laughs> of course, she's one of those unfortunate people who had a birthday in December, so was always combining Christmas gifts with birthday gifts. Yeah, that's often how it goes. <laughs> it really is. And you know, today is also a very special day, over and above that, in that it was 94 years ago today that KFUO Radio went on the air. That's pretty cool. It really is. You know, this is back. <laughs> in fact, we've even got a, our, our original license agreement is over in the office. And uh, it's signed by uh, Calvin Coolidge, who was at the time Secretary of Commerce. How about that? Yeah, that gives you an idea how far back it went. It was back when uh, broadcasting was under the uh, was under the Commerce Department. That's interesting. Over and above that, we are, so far as we are aware, we are definitely the first Christian radio station, certainly in the U.S., and I suspect also throughout the world. And, of course, that also makes us the longest continually operating Christian radio station. Well, what a, thanks be to God. What a great thing. It really is. He's really preserved us. You know, we were, for one, uh, before we moved our studios now over to the International Center, we had our studios over in, uh, uh, at a, a, actually, at a, a building that was built specifically for KFUO back in 1927. And the interesting thing about that was that our Studio A, where we did almost all of our programming from 1927 until 2012, when we moved over here to the IC, was the longest continually operating radio studio in the world. How about that? Yeah. And huh. believe me, it showed it sometimes. Uh, I <laughs> it was I definitely imagine. not in a state of great repair there toward the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I would imagine. What a cool anniversary. It really is. It really is. And, you know, and there's something very Lutheran about that, is that, we have traditionally always made use of cutting-edge technology to help spread the gospel. When you look at Martin Luther himself, he was really right on top of using, uh, of using the printing press, which had just recently been invented. Yes, indeed. And, you know, what, what he did probably would not have been possible a century before. I mean, look at Jan Hus, who was saying many of the same things that Luther was saying, but he didn't have the way of getting the, the message out to the people the way that Luther did. There is a, a fascinating confluence of events and technologies 
that enabled uh, the Lutheran Reformation to flower, and certainly the printing press is integral to that. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I remember I was I don't remember, if you remember where you were when the millennium turned uh, in two thousand. Yeah, it's Palm Springs. You were in Palm Springs. I was doing my vicarage in Aspen, Colorado that year, and uh, you know I pretty much every publication that that I can remember had, um, generally speaking, I think the top three figures of the previous thousand years were Copernicus, uh, the heliocentric universe, uh, Gutenberg, the printing press, and Luther. Um, Oh, absolutely. For the theological and cultural revolution uh, that he brought about by his preaching and teaching. And again, this was the thing where we were able to make use of the technology. You know, the printing press came along in the uh, in the uh, 1500s, and that really was the uh, was the big mass media at that time, if you will, up until the time of broadcasting. Which, uh, oh boy, and I'm going to go back to my history on this is. Uh, well, of course, it was Marconi which first did it. And I think uh, radios first started commercially, uh, I'm going to say 1912, and I may be a little bit, a little bit late on that. I knew there was a, a, a point at which the Navy Department, of all, of all things, wanted control of the radio. Yeah, well, I could see that. Yeah, because they could, uh, it was a, the way they could uh, keep, keep track of ships at sea. Yeah, I and mean, you could see also why the government would want to control the Internet mm-hmm. <laughs> and... And that sounds a little conspiracy theorist, but... Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, just, just as the old saying goes, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, then radio came along, and as I mentioned, in 1924, and, and, and commercial radio, you know, as we know it now, had only started, oh, gosh, like one or two years prior to that. So what was, what was the... Uh, for, was... was Dr. Meyer's program, the first radio program that we had, or were there some others? And I believe it was Dr. Meyer's, but don't hold me to that. It could be an error. Uh, Darren, I wish I could get Gary uh, Duncan in here, our, our executive director, because he's he's the guy who really knows radio history at the station. Sure. Uh, you yourself, right? You started as a print journalist, right? Well, actually, no. I started as journalist. I started in radio, but uh, right. I, I switched over to uh, to print, and then eventually went back to radio, which has always been my first love. Okay. Well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, as we go up, and uh, you know, television then comes along. Uh, they were experimenting with it a little bit prior in the 1930s, but you know, it really started out in I guess in the U.S. I think the first commercial TV station started in. Oh, gosh, I'm going to say in 46 or 47. Now, I know my dad uh, became the first news director for WGN television in Chicago back in 1948. How about that? Yeah. And, of course, the Lutheran Church jumps right into that as well. And we had a lot of programming. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up watching uh, the Lutheran Hour. Not the Lutheran Hour, pardon me. Uh, This is the Life. Sure. Uh, Which is a terrific program. Boy, I I love that show. And, of course, there's a Lutheran Hour on radio, which has been around for a long, long time. And it's still airing it on this on this station. Right. Uh, and then, guess what happens? The Internet. Yes. And suddenly, we're, we've got 
a web presence on it. And more than that, we've now got streaming online. You're available on, on I've got a little iPhone in front of me. I can listen to the station anytime on this thing. I can download podcasts. We are now literally heard around the world because of this new technology. You know, not bragging about us. We ain't nothing. The, the big thing is the gospel. This is what we're spreading. And I saw some, uh, uh, I guess a couple of days ago, I was reading where it said something like one half of all the world now has access to the Internet. One half. Yep. And this is how we can spread our message throughout the world. And we are doing it. We are making use of the of the most recent technology that God has, has allowed us to find. And, you know, it's really amazing when you think about it, Lance. You know, it, it's almost like this... Um, well, you could talk about different types of conspiracy theory, but how about this? It's almost like we're being guided. Sure. And well, I mean, there there is a there is an interesting analogy, right? That Paul Paul writes about the the arrival. You know, that when when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born of, under the law, to redeem those under the law. That it was just the right time. You know, there, you had peace in the Roman Empire. You had you had roads on which people could travel. It was, it was the right. It was the right time for a whole bunch of reasons for that the the message of Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins to spread throughout the world. And you had Jews dispersed throughout the world, and you had so you had a you had people planted through most of the civilized world that that knew the story of the creation and the promises of the Messiah. You had missionary communities that could therefore begin. It's no mistake that Paul begins um, the vast majority of his mission starts at synagogues with Jewish people, and it goes out from there. You know, I hadn't thought of it this way, but, you know, looking at it from what you've just said, uh, the the road system that the Romans had established, you know, they were incredible engineers, yep. suddenly allowed travel throughout the entire European and North African area. And as you pointed out, the... Well, the Romans were not necessarily the nicest of folks. They did have a peace. They did have a peace, and and, uh, and all things considered, um, safe travel. Yeah, yeah. And Paul himself was a Roman citizen, so he could go anywhere within the empire. And the other thing to think about is that there were pretty much universal languages at this point, even though you know the, uh, the, the Jews are speaking Aramaic or, or Hebrew. Most of the civilized world knew Greek and Latin. Yes, and so remember the the, te the, the Greek, New Testament was... in particular. So you could go and and it's there. There are a couple interesting books on that on on this, but it is interesting. Christianity is relatively is well, perhaps unique, maybe not relatively unique that. Translation is inherent uh, to the religion itself. Um, that the source documents are New Testament are are in Greek, and when the likelihood is is that Jesus and his disciples walked around that they were speaking Aramaic, right? But the but the the source document um, are 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 actually a translation. And that is, and that is, that is valid, understood as valid and true, and the word of God. And and Islam is a little different in this regard. Oh yeah, it's just, it's just Arabic. Arabic, you know, in Islam, Arabic must be 
you know, really is the only truly theological language for them. And that's why, so if you see a translation, uh, if you see a Quran, it's, it's called um, the meaning of or a translation of. It's not actually Quran if it's not in Arabic. When that is not the case with Christianity. It's Bible, whether it's, whether it's in Latin or Greek or English or French or, or Urdu. And we can look at, uh, you know, Luther himself, who was so adamant about the idea that the Bible should be in the vernacular. Indeed. You know, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, you know, the Latin was certainly used by the church and became something of a, uh, of a universal language, even though the average person in the street, who, who was probably illiterate their own language, certainly didn't understand Latin. But then Luther comes along and says, look, this is God's message. This is for everyone to hear. So let's maybe start doing this in the language people can understand. Again, borrowing a borrowing a lesson from a lesson from Saint Paul. Indeed, and then very quickly it gets translated, mm-hmm. you know, into German and then printed on that device that we began talking about, right? Um, Gutenberg's printing press, and it goes so explosively. It did. I mean, this is a the the. This, the theses and the uh, and the pamphlets and the thoughts that were being written, this was popular press at the time, right? And for good and for ill, right? yeah. You know, to be to be fair, right? I mean, there were there were things printed under people's names, you know. And whereas that was always done in the ancient world, you had a you know you had a pseudonym of some kind. Somebody said this is written by Luther, and when in fact it might not it might not have been in the ancient world. That was copied, you know, letter by letter by hand. Mm-hmm. Now you can put something out and just say it's by somebody and spread a lie really quickly. And that certainly happened. Um, a blessing and a curse. And, of course, the Internet makes that, for good and for ill, uh, exponentially more true. Oh, yeah. You check out the Internet now, you'll find... Uh a lot of secular sources and secular information on it. You can find religious, you'll find Christian, and certainly you'll find uh, Islamic, even uh, even radical Islamic sites. Yep. So it's an interesting thought. I mean, it right. So it, it's it, it, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it, right. It enables. I mean, it used to be to, if somebody wanted to be, you know, thirty years ago, if somebody want if this program had been on thirty years ago and they wanted to listen to it. They would have had to be on at a specific time mm-hmm. um, and and in a specific location for the most part. Oh, yeah. You know, but now uh, you all you have to do is have access to the Internet somehow. And you don't even have, it doesn't even have to be on time. Right. So and I, and I do this with stuff and I know you do all the time. I don't have time to listen to that now. I'll, I'll download the podcast and when I'm driving from one place to another, I'll listen to it. Yeah, that's it exactly. You know, and I look just at the changes in my lifetime and it's just <laughs> it, it's just incredible. I mean, I I, I look back, for example, I had a, a, a beloved relative, uh, my great aunt Nina, who I've mentioned several times in this program. Sure who was the, uh, the wonderful country cook who knew more than Wolfgang Puck ever would. But she was born before the Wright brothers. <laughs> and she actually remembered hearing about the Wright brothers' flight. <laughs> That's crazy. Incredible. My, 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 my grandmother, for example, Connie, uh, 
Uh, she was all, she was born in the 1880s uh, here in St. Louis, and she was here for the World's Fair in 1904. How about that? And there, she talked about the lights, because you know, electric lights, you know, we were brand new back then, and how the whole fairground had been lit up. And that you know, we take this for granted now. Yeah. I'm curious, Kip, do you have any um, statistics or data on uh, the number of people who listen to KFUO now in, you, in total listeners, not just on the radio, those who listen by podcast and all that stuff? You know, I don't. I know that we have it here, but uh, I, I don't have the information at my fingertips. Sure. But I know it's, it, it's, it's far beyond anything that we ever dreamed. Yeah. I, I just, it's, if I may, can I, I alluded to you when we conversed a little bit earlier about a story along that line about yeah. the, power of, the power of media I served Emanuel Lutheran Church in Van Wert, Ohio, my first parish, um, from December of 2002 until August of 2009. And for many, many years, uh, that little country congregation had broadcast their worship service on television. One of our members there, um, named Ray Tanner, was an engineer at the nearby Fox Channel in Lima, Ohio. And so he got us on television. We were on, I think it is, it was either 7 or 7.30 a.m. on Fox, and we paid uh, some paltry sum for it. They get, you know, we had been on. And early on in my tenure there at Emanuel, the budget was really tight. And I think, you know, it was like 2,500 bucks a year for us to be on TV. And we didn't do we didn't do the big dog and pony show. It didn't look like anything. It was straight up you had two cameras with a switcher and a straight up Lutheran worship service, no bells, you know, just right out of the hymnal. Mhm. You know, we didn't do anything. We didn't have fancy graphics. I mean, we but so the they came up that we they we need, you know, we couldn't afford to do that. And just at that time, Ray came in and said that we showed up on the Nielsen rating. Ah. And so this little congregation that had in the neighborhood of 90 to 100 people maybe on a Sunday, there were over, you know, we, we estimated between the, the Fox broadcast and the local cable access, um, the data came back that we had, we had over 2,000 people watching us every week. Wow, <laughs> which for right for a little country congregation, it, you know, is like yeah. you just said. I mean, I, I wonder, I, I wonder how Walter Meyer the first <laughs> would marvel uh, at the reach of the radio station and what has happened because of the internet. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a little hard to judge the radio, per se, because we're non-commercial, and uh, as a result of that, we don't really show up in the Arbitron ratings. Yeah. Because those those are used, basically, they're advertising tools. Right. Know, like, oh, we've got here, this is why you need to advertise on our station. Well, we don't do that, uh, and so we don't show. But the there are numbers to show on the on the internet. As I said, we can make a pretty good estimate of what 
of who's going to be listening to us on on our broadcast, but it's a, it's just a guesstimate. But in terms of the uh, of the reach using the internet, uh, there are tools out there that we do utilize. And again, I confess that I am at the lower end in terms of the technology on this thing. I don't know how to use it. Uh, but uh, like uh, uh, Sarah Golseth, who is the uh, co-host of our uh, Coffee Hour program, is also our social media director here for KFUO. And furthermore, I mean, downstairs, we actually, where the communications department is located, we make enormous strides with uh, the LCMS uh, website, which is which is separate from the KFUO. And and the reach that is done there is just absolutely incredible. I mean, we're talking, I, I know, hundreds of thousands. It is, it is amazing. It is. And we'll get, uh, we will get feedback from, with KFUO, for example, we'll get, we'll get feedback literally from around the world. Germany, we'll get it from Central America. Uh, we'll get it from, uh, from Asia. And uh, the LCMS uh, uh, people, I know that, that down in communications, they have a much broader uh, reach than we do. Uh, and I, I've seen some of the material that they're gathering, and it's just absolutely incredible what they will do. Uh, you know, for example, they'll get a, uh, say there'll be a medical mercy, uh, uh, mercy mission that'll be going into uh, some uncivilized areas in Central Africa. Uh, well, they'll actually have, have be able to bring in, like, transistor radios <laughs> or, or even iPhones so they can they can get these things they can listen to it right and the uh i know that a lot of the local lutheran churches and missions that we have in in these other countries do link to the internet and do uh listen to our broadcasts i know right here on um, probably the most popular single programs we have are our church services and if it sometimes happens we get a technical glitch and we can't get that one church on or whatever it is our switchboard lights up yes and, and this, it's a it's a wonderful tool, especially for shut-ins or for people who are traveling or uh, people who are away from their church. Well, I'm I'm very hopeful. You know, my congregation here at St. Paul's in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, has has been on the radio for many years, mm-hmm. and it it is we have a you know a couple techie people. We we really would like to be streaming the services. Um, on the internet, but that hasn't that hasn't happened yet, and we're we we're not even podcasting it yet. But it is it is interesting how wide the reach of that radio pro- program is. My associate pastor and I regularly run into people in the community that entered, said, "Oh, oh, you're Lance O'Donnell. I listen to you on the radio." Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they're not members of our congregation, and it, it happens. You know. It happens very regularly. You know, it's amazing. Uh, as long as I've been in this business, I am still always surprised when I run into somebody who says, "Oh, I heard you on the air." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really am. It's you know, there's a <laughs> there's a funny story behind that, which I will relate. Uh, when I first started in radio, I first started in 1970. Okay. So, so you know, I'm I'm an old guy. And I was terrified. I had horrible mic fright. Okay. That mic would go on, and I'd start to lose my voice and get so scared. You know, like that. Well, a few months into my first gig at uh, a station, uh, I made the, the rookie's mistake of forgetting that the mic is always hot. 
<laughs> and I said something I should not have said back then. It was one of the uh, one of the seven words that you may have heard about. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was that was a big no-no back then. We're talking about a five grand fine, revo- revocation of license, the whole thing. Well, I knew my career was over. And I just sat there waiting for the phone call from my boss. It never came. Yeah. Nobody heard me. <laughs> and that cured my mic fright because, you know, I, I knew on an intellectual level that people are out there listening, but now on an emotional level, nah, it's just me talking to myself. Why be worried? Yeah. Well, lucky you on that one. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> Uh, another one of those ways, one of those little ways I think God sometimes moves. Maybe he had this job in me, job in mind for me back then. Yes. It, you know, it, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up the radio thing and the, the anniversary because it is, you know, we have, I have so many people just in my congregation that listen to our broadcast. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, especially some of my older folks who are shut in. Oh, yeah. That it is a, it, in many respects, for people, a lifeline. You know, in, in our broadcast, a lot of the broadcasts around here are pre recorded. We are still doing ours live. Right. That occasionally has some technical issues that are problematic, but uh, it is our, our strong desire to keep that live as long as we possibly can because it is a, a, it is a listening ear to a living, breathing congregation. And, you know, our people hear some of the announcements, uh, the prayers. That's, um, you know, and for, and for people who have spent the better, you know, their, the entirety of their lives regularly in worship, and then all of a sudden something health-wise happens and they can't, um, it, is, uh, it grieves them profoundly. Oh, absolutely, it does. Lance, we're running out of time here to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to take a little break, but I want to continue this discussion. We, we're really doing some good stuff here, okay? You bet. Alrighty. I'm Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Tens of thousands of people are hospitalized and thousands die from flu-related illnesses each year. Last year's flu season was the worst since 2009. Missourians reported nearly 134,000 confirmed cases with over 2,000 deaths. Getting your flu shot is one of the best ways to increase your chances of staying well. Join us and get your flu shots today. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. 
That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m. every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. The First World War begins in August 1914. They were promised that the war would be over by Christmas. And the Western Front becomes the deadliest place on earth. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, tells the story of Jesus' birth, describing angels singing of peace on earth. This story influenced Pope Benedict XV to suggest a temporary peace between the warring countries of Britain, France, and Germany to be observed on Christmas Day 1914 in the midst of brutal trench warfare. While leaders of those countries did not formally agree to a ceasefire on Christmas Day, the shelling stopped along some parts of the Western Front as soldiers gathered together to share food and a day of peace on Earth. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor's in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and my guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell from uh, Oconomowoc. I love saying that. Oconomowoc, Wisconsin from the Lutheran Church up there at St. Paul's. And we are discussing how Lutherans have always made use of technology and actually how God is almost guiding us to use the technology. And you know, the more I look at it, Lance, the more I, I, I really almost see a divine movement on this thing, especially, you know, as you pointed out, the, the comparison between Islam and Christianity, where we use all languages, where they don't. Yeah, and I, and I don't, right, I don't want to be unfair to them, but, I mean, there is... It, it, there is a there is a qualitative difference between the two faiths in this. The translation is intrinsic to the Christian faith in a, in a way that it, it a well I, I can't use that word on the internet, but it's the it's the word that me, means someone without a father. Um, uh-huh. A translation for Islam, there is only one, you know, there is only one language, and you know that's not that's not true for us. You know that when you when you hear for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, right, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when you hear that in, in French or German or, or Urdu, as I said, or, you know, whatever, it's, uh, that is word of God uh, regardless. Well, one of the things we have in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible that I really appreciate is they'll have footnotes at the bottom of each chapter on... Uh, how words perhaps were not quite translated the same way or does not necessarily mean exactly what it says there. Uh, for example, what what does the word to, to fear mean or love mean? Where in English, you know, it just might have one meaning. However, it's a little subtle difference in, in Greek and Aramaic and Latin. Right. And that's one, it's one of the challenges of translation. And Luther, I mean, there's been volumes and volumes spilled on this, but uh, Luther wrote very poignantly about this uh, when he, in his prefaces to the, the, his New and Old Testaments. You know, even the, you know, even the liturgical innovation, as it were, the liturgical reformation um, is, also a, is also a translation reformation. 
and a, and a technology reformation. I mean, to to enable you know hymnals um, and the printing thereof and music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was a. It, it's just a. It's a massive revolution. Well, one of the things I notice, uh, for example, with the uh, with the uh, Lutheran service book, uh, you know, at the bottom of each hymn, it'll give a little little blurb on on, this, on the, how it was written and what you know what it was written and who did the music and who did the lyrics and so many of our hymns were written originally in german yes and you know how do we handle that translation to english uh english fortunately is is actually a germanic language so the translation from german to english is not as bad as it might be but there are things that just don't quite make it and and you can almost cheer sometimes with a hymn where they're almost forcing the um, the, the 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 lyrics to work with the music that's true and, you know and 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 this is it's true with the bible translation Germ, germans better in this word order is so important mm-hmm. in english and that that does make it challenging as opposed to other languages, and the, the biblical languages, in our case, perhaps in particular, you can you, uh, you can put a word at the beginning of a sentence to highlight its importance, but it might actually be uh, a direct object, which would typically be later in the sentence uh, in English. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, both my, my mother was bilingual, and my grandmother was raised speaking German, and uh, they always used to use the example of... Uh, Throwing Mama out the out the out the uh, train a kiss. Yes. <laughs> so that's how they would phrase it in German. Yes. Yeah. And uh, didn't quite understand that I wasn't I wasn't bilingual at that time. And later on, when I studied Russian, I started to realize that things didn't quite translate the same way. But uh, well, it, and it 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 speaks to the ongoing importance of translation um, that. You know, and the and the if I may, please the ongoing importance of learning the original languages for pastors mm. that um, because la- language does move. I mean, anybody who's anybody who's tried to understand Shakespearean English can appreciate or gone to see a play. Oh yeah, um, can appreciate how that how that happens, and it it it's part of a. It, an important part of a pastor's work is is to help people understand, and that that is a translation exercise. You know, we we have to be the. I you know I think one of, a, a be, the the best preachers have an appreciation for the nuance of the original text and are culturally fluent. That they can attempt to articulate that nuance, uh, so that people can appreciate it. That's an important point: the cultural, the cultural fluency as well as the linguistic fluency. Um, now, I know that uh, you know our seminarians; uh, they have to they're taught Greek and, uh, and Hebrew. They have to pass those languages to become ordained. For the most part, yes. Yeah, uh, but again, as, as pointed out, you know, there's some cultural fluency that has to be involved there as well. You know, we are we are as far removed from first century Christians as as almost anything. Yeah, and, and how do you right? How do you express? Well, I mean, you could think of a, a whole host of things, but you know, mm. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm still trying to learn teenager. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, 
when I was a, you know, when I was, when I started as a young, you know, when I started as a pastor, I was closer to that, you know, but now I'm a, a middle-aged guy. And fortunately, you know, I have, I have teenagers in my household uh-huh. and, but one of the, one of the things for me going forward as I approach, as I, as I get older in ministry, uh, it's going to be important for me to stay in touch with the youth of my congregation when my kids are older yeah, so that I just don't, you know, I don't sound like an old fool. Um, you know, when I meet, when I meet with them, they, and even in my homilies, even in the sermons, you know, it doesn't mean you're always using, you're always using slang, but you a preacher's got to try and reach the kids that are sitting in the pew. That's an interesting point. Uh, Cause you know, our, our synod, membership unfortunately is aging uh we're, we're not drawing in the youth that we really need to draw in I, I wish i could wave a magic wand and come up with some kind of a solution to that but that maybe that's part of it is you know the the young people have their own culture and this is something we ignore at our peril i i learned that lesson from you know i you know i when I was an undergraduate, I pursued what my my father affectionately called the no job major. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> which was uh, psychology and sociology. But I, I remember very vividly one of my sociology prefer, uh, professors, Richard Means, who very deliberately tried to stay um, abreast of what popular music was, specifically so he could understand and at least talk to his students and he, he was regularly listening to lyrics listening listening to music buying stuff that he normally wouldn't but he was trying to stay on top of things so that he would be able to reach his students and i think there's something to be said for that for for a pastor for a parent quite frankly how do you do that as a pastor and how do you do that stay current and as I said, how do you stay current? <laughs> well, um, talk with your kids. Uh, watch. I mean, I, I do. I do. I follow Dr. Means' example. I, I every once in a while, even I, I will listen. You know, I will go. I will go on the internet and find out what's popular, and I will listen. I will listen to it. I will sometimes buy it. Um, you know, mostly, mostly I'll mostly I'll listen, but I I try. You know, and I I poke around on the internet a little bit. If I hear something kids are talking about, I'll look it up. I mean, this is another another area where the internet's really helpful. You know, you can quickly type something in. I just heard a kid say, "Use a use a word a certain way," and I can go be on the Urban Dictionary and find out what in the world he was talking about. I was going to mention the Urban Dictionary. I, I know it. That's something actually we use around here sometimes. Yes. Uh, the the most recent one. I mean, and I'm going to sound like an old guy now. Somebody said, you know, I was he was the OG, and I thought, what in the world is that? So, it, it I guess that means original gangster. It means you're you're an old school guy. Um, okay, uh, if that works for you. But I, I just I think that's part of you know part of a pastor's work is to try and stay in touch with his people, and I don't you know I. That's both easier because of the internet, and and I think it's also 
you know, challenging, I, if I may, because people are living longer. So a, a pastor that's trying to communicate with his people across the generations increasingly is having to converse with people who, who used to be, you know, two or three generations, and now we're looking at four. Mm-hmm. Um, and as lifespans grow, it, that presents its own communication challenge. You know, I you know I have I have three funerals this week. Ouch! And so you know you're you have you have people who were teenagers when the Great Depression hit. Um, people who you know burying people who didn't have running water in their homes. Yeah, they were children and. At the same time, I walk into a, you know, I walk into a school, and you have kids who cannot possibly conceive of that. And my part of my responsibility on Sunday is to try and make sure they all hear the message. That's a real challenge. It is a challenge, um, and it, you're right. If you want to be a pastor, it's one you have to embrace. It's it's uh, it's not it's not easy. Well, God never promised it would be easy. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> it's true, but you know, I, it's it's one of it's for you know for the people in the pew. You know, I I guess I'm for those listening. I'm I'm begging those who are older to to bear with the pastor who is attempting to speak in a way that also grabs the attention of the younger set in his congregation. And, you know, this is just part of bearing with one another in love. Uh, some, you know, I'm not talking about swear words. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, sometimes turns of phrase and slang are, are helpful in, re- in reaching people. And, you know, but you could hear from you know, some septuagenarian or octogenarian, um, what in the world is he talking about, and why would you use such word in the pulpit? Um, and I'm not talking about a swear word. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's part of bearing with one another in love. And likewise for the young. Well, I think one thing we as a church have lost uh, in the last generation or so, uh, when I was a young man, a teenager coming up in the church, we had a very active youth group. We had the, the Walter League. Sure. And uh, we all, my church had a, we had a youth director who worked directly with the league membership. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. And it was one way to keep the kids going, you know, after they get through the uh, confirmation class and all. It's a, it's a way to keep them together and to keep the, uh, the link between the young people and the church and, and the future. And uh, we've lost that. I, I, we don't have a group like the Walter League anymore. I, I, I really regret that we don't. It was a very important part of my life growing up. And you guys, at, at that time when you were younger and in Walter League, you often had ve- events that were outside or pan-congregational events, right? Right, right. And, no, but you were in the city, right? Uh, suburb area. You were in a suburb? Yeah, I was in South St. Louis even, County. Even us, uh, that, that is, right... I don't think that's 
I mean, you have to work really hard to cooperate with other people now, even in a circuit of of churches. Boy. That, that, that's a pity. I mean, we we had uh, sports teams, for example. Uh, I played Walter League basketball. I was horrible, but I was fairly tall and just could intimidate people. Uh, and we had, uh, oh, we did baseball. I remember that. Uh, we had uh, ice skating events, you know, things like that. And and sometimes we we would get together with other uh, with other youth groups, not even necessarily Lutheran. Sure. And uh, would have joint dinners we would have competition chess chess tournaments we all sorts of things like that and it it there, there was this real spirit of us being lutheran we knew who we were yeah or at least we identified who we were we, you know, we of course you know when you're that young you think you know everything <laughs> but uh but it was a very important tool from my point of view and i really regret that we've lost that yeah largely and it's you know, it, it's hard. I'm in a, you know, in a mid-sized congregation, and that type of cooperative work, I mean, it, it can happen, but you have to, you have to have a, you, you either have to have a part or full-time staff, mm-hmm. you know, or you have to have a really active parent or parent group in order to, to pull off cooperative youth work among churches and it's one of my sense is among other things it's one of the casualties of the of the dual income household and i'm not denigrating you know any dual incomes house dual incomes households i'm not saying women can't work so i mean i want you to get a pile of phone calls is just culturally yeah that's one of the you know it's one of the things that hap- that one of the things that happens when Moms and dads are working full time, and then somebody's got to wash, you know, wash the dishes. Somebody's got to make dinner. Somebody's got to fix this. Um, and one of the things that falls by the wayside is, uh, is perhaps some some youth stuff, or you or you have to be at a bigger church and you pay somebody to do it. You know, um, it, it it's hard. I have you know I have a small group of volunteers who have tried to restart our youth here mm-hmm. but um it, they're gonna it, this will be a season of their lives they'll do this for you know two three four years but it, it's a fair amount of work beyond all the other stuff that they're doing and so and that's challenging for families yeah it is it is and as you pointed out you know our, our society has changed as well you know the the dual income uh you know, the very basic economics, I suppose, of, of family life have changed. You know, like when I was a kid, uh, the the stay-at-home mom was, was the common. Yes. Uh, yeah, I hear the argument, well, that was, gee, gee, that's sexist or what have you, maybe. Well, maybe it was. But it certainly was, I think, much better for the family structure. Uh, I know, you know, you had to have known my mother to understood she was a force of danger. She rolled the roost. Uh, but um, when when both parents work, as you point out, there is, um, the kids are somewhere missing, what, a combination of role models, direction, discipline? Can be. 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, there, but there. I mean, there are certain right. I mean, you re, you remember a time when you had this pan congregational youth umbrella organization, and you met people from all kinds of different parishes, and there was uh, all kinds of cultural supports for that. And the, but there 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 was a there was there was an infrastructure in the family that enabled that to happen more easily. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The parents were very heavily involved in, in, in the uh, Walter League functions. So and that is harder to maintain when, everybody, when everybody's working. And, and in addition to the other stuff that's come up, you know, sports and, and extra lessons for this and all that. So it's, it's hard. Never, you know, nevertheless, I, for those of your listeners out there, if you're a parent, I would appeal you appeal to you to consider to take a short season of your life and get together with another couple parents and spend two or three years of a of some of your extra time to help make youth activities available in your church or between churches. It will be a great blessing to your kids. It would. I know it was in my case. I'll put it that way. Pardon me? I know it was a great blessing in my case. As I said, you, the, the parents were heavily involved in the Walter League. Yep. And it was... Um, Again, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, I've got a small group, and I'm very proud of them because, you know, they're, they're all working and working full-time, and, you know, one of them, you know, one of them's a cop, and, um, you know, you, that's a that's a schedule that has to be juggled but the you know they've dedicated themselves for a short period of time here in their lives that they're going to try and make sure that there are some youth activities available for their kids and and I'm thankful for that and I'm praying for the next group of parents to step up because I can't I can't afford really even a good part-time youth worker right now mm-hmm. but that would be a great blessing to us if we had one could this perhaps be something that a vicar could help with yeah the challenge in the the challenge there with the vicar is, um, and for those of your your listeners that might not know, in our circles, the vicar is a is a seminary intern for a year, and the challenge of, of a vicar in a youth program is you get you have to recycle it every year, yeah, and so there you know you you gain you you gain someone on site and doing stuff, but then then somebody has to relearn. All the personalities and the families, and start over, and that takes some that takes some time. But having a vicar would be better than none, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm also thinking that the vicar would be closer in age to the youth. Yep, and maybe could could bridge that cultural and language barrier. Well, if I could afford to do a vicar, I would. I, um, you know, when I when I served the church in Van Wert, Ohio, we were only 40 minutes from the Fort Wayne Seminary, and I had seminary field workers. For almost seventy years, or seven years, and um, and that was a that was a great blessing to help prepare young men for service in the church. I would relish the opportunity to have a vicar, but um, we're not in a position to support that right now. Well, one thing we do here, we talked about um, uh, about the impact of media. On, yeah. on the faith. One thing we do here at KFUO is we actually have some programming aimed at children. Yes. 
And uh, actually, <laughs> I find myself listening to them. <laughs> oh, well, I don't, I don't know these. So tell me a little bit okay, about well, what you have. Well, we've got, uh, uh, we have one called Lamplighter Theater, which is a biblical story type thing. It's an old radio drama, but it's in the, in the Bible, biblical thing. And then we have, um, oh gosh, I have just lost at 9 o'clock in, on, on Saturday mornings. Uh, is, it's an old time radio, not old time radio drama. It's, it's about a small town that's with people in it who are, are interacting, how the kids, uh, how the kids work. Uh, Adventures in Odyssey. That's it. Adventures in Odyssey. And and there are characters in it who are carried from day to day to day. And uh, it's aimed really at children. And it's it's a wonderful drama. It, it stretches the imagination. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no theater like there is the theater of the mind. And I sometimes think we are, young people are being cheated a little bit by by the internet and by what they can see on TV and what they can see on on the uh, you know on on their video screens. I know I I'm I'm a a, a bookaholic. I describe myself as, <laughs> and you know when I get into a book, I I get into it literally. I mean, there's nothing. I'm, I'm shutting everything out, and I can actually. If I'm reading about a battle, I can smell the gunpowder. Right now, I'm reading a, uh, a um, an espionage thriller, uh, and I can I'm, I'm there. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's uh, I, I as I said, the theater of the mind. There, there's not there's no limits to the theater of the mind. You know, it's interesting. It makes me think of what a a difference this summer made for my youngest son, who is 11, and for those out there who might be parents with younger children, um, my my little guy, so I have four children, and uh, little guy's big brother has, you know, video games and that he can access on the internet, and but the little, our little guy was not allowed to play those, and but he decided he was going to do it anyway. Oops. Um, and then he did it anyway, again. Um, then he had his birthday party taken away. And then he did it again. And then we said, tell you what, you're done with video games for 2018. This was back in May. And uh, he, was, he was not pleased, but he knew we were serious. Well, he spent his summer reading. Ah, and this fall, uh, he's a fifth grader. He took his standardized test and exploded in his reading growth. Wow. Vocabulary, uh, it's a remarkable thing. Well, Pastor, we've run out of time. This has been a fascinating discussion. We did run out of time. <laughs> I love this. Well, you've been listening to Let's Talk the Pastors in today's guest, today's guest pastor with Lance O'Donnell, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. This is Kip Allen. Don't mean it again. God bless. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.